1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this morning, um, if you were watching this morning, we were able to catch this morning's message. We uh, looked this morning uh, at the case that Paul had laid out for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, uh, and, and he, he laid it out to the church here at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15. And, and really, he has laid it out before all who are going to read this letter from the time he wrote it till today. And, uh, and this is what he, if you remember, the, the foundation that he set down was this. Uh, faith in the gospel saves. And then he gave us an explanation of the gospel he corroborates the gospel with eyewitnesses, and then he begins to lay out this uh, this logic and and reasoning for the gospel. And we saw this morning, if Christ be not risen, uh, my goodness, faith is in vain. It's pointless. It's 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 empty. Our preaching is worthless and pointless. It's vain. We're all a bunch of liars up here. We're just lying about something that doesn't exist. And the worst of it all is you're still in your sins. You are still in your, the, 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 you, you think you're free from your past. You think your, your slate's been clean. You think all of your sin, uh, is, has been wiped away by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nope. Not if he isn't risen, it isn't. You still have it. And you still have the weight of it. And, uh, those that are gone on before us, they're still dead and they'll always stay dead. And Paul ended up by saying, we are, of, we are of all men most miserable if Christ hasn't risen from the dead. And in verse 20, Paul presented his conclusion to the church at Corinth when he said, But now is Christ risen. The eternal God, who is the eternal now, is forever now risen. And what an ex- what, what hope that is. What an exciting thought that is. And Paul has presented the facts of the resurrection. But... The question comes now is, how does that apply to you and I on a daily basis? We're talking about a future event. We're talking about we're living right now. We're breathing. We're listening. We're alive right now. And we are looking at the resurrection as something future that is going to happen. We know it's going to happen. We believe the gospel. We believe the word of God. And we know it's going to happen. But what does that do for us now? How does that affect us today? And how does it affect us for the rest of our life? Well, in the, in the next verses, Paul is going to move from proving the facts of the resurrection to showing the personal application of the resurrection. Besides our eternal salvation, how does the resurrection affect our daily life? Well, I've titled the message tonight, The Hope of the Resurrection. And what does it mean for us on a daily basis? Now, the first thing we notice that Paul uh, puts up here in verse 20, if you find your place in 1 Corinthians 15, if you notice verse 20, we ended there this morning, but now is Christ risen from the dead, and look at this, and become the firstfruits of them that slept. First fruits. That's an interesting term, isn't it? The first fruits. We know the first fruits are concerning tithing. We know the first fruits are concerning bringing in a crop, that first fruit of the year, that very first batch that comes in. We could look at that. But 
But Paul is saying here that Christ is the first fruits of them that slept. Pretty interesting, isn't it? Do you know first fruits all begins with a seed? But to get to the place of first fruits, you have to begin at the place of a seed. A seed. And in that seed is life. Life is contained in the seed. And when you take that seed, whatever plant it is from, whatever it is, you take that seed and you put it into the ground. That seed goes into the ground dry, usually, hopefully, dry. And you put it into the dirt and the water and the moisture of that dirt and you water it and that moisture begins to absorb into that seed and that seed begins to swell and that outer shell of that seed will crack and when that seed cracks, the, the, the primary root called the radical and the, and the, uh, the plumule will begin to grow downward out of that, out of that seed into the ground. And as, as, as that begins to happen, this like internal metabolism, I can't think of a better word to say the metabolism, really. I'm sure there's a better word, but that inner engine of that seed begins to kick into gear. It's amazing to me. And what will happen is that seed will now begin to feed off of the stored protein and carbohydrates that are in that seed. And those proteins and carbohydrates will last as long and allow that root to begin to grow downward in the root system. And that little plant will begin to grow up and poke up out of the dirt. And when that little plant pokes up out of the dirt, you'll get a couple little leaves. And once those leaves come out, photosynthesis will take over. The proteins and the carbohydrates in that seed will run out of, they won't be there anymore. Photosynthesis will take over and that plant will begin to grow up. Fascinating, isn't it? It's unbelievable the creation that we can look at. And eventually, this little plant that started as a seed, it grows into a plant that produces fruit. It produces fruit. Now, now let me say this. If you were to plant an apple tree, the very process I just described to you would begin with that apple seed and would hopefully end with bunches of apples. Now, I... Understand that some people might plant an apple tree without really caring if there are apples. They just maybe like the size of the tree and the way it looks and the way they want it in a certain part of their landscape. But by and large, normal people plant an apple tree because they want apples, right? They want the fruit of the apples. Now watch this, please. It is the presence of fruit that ultimately proves the life in the seed. Do you hear that? It is the presence of fruit that ultimately proves the life in the seed. Now, number two, the first batch of fruit, the first fruits, the first batch of fruit that that, let's call it an apple tree, that that apple tree puts off, that first batch of fruit guarantees what fruit will be produced every year after that. So if you get apples in year one, what are you going to get in year two? Apples. Year three, apples. Year four, apples. Not until you get to year five. When you get to year five, you'll get apples. And then year six, you'll get apples and until that tree dies or ceases to produce fruit, you will get apples from that tree. So, why did Paul bring up the subject of first fruits? <laughs> yeah. 
Do you realize, oh, he, look, look what he said here again in verse 20, and become the first fruits of them that slept. Who's he talking about? Do you know he's talking about Old Testament saints? Old Testament saints who put their faith and trust in the Word of God went to their dying day believing that God's Messiah would come and would forever take away their sins that were merely covered by the blood of bulls and goats. They believed that was going to come. You say, you think you believe that? Absolutely. They believed in a coming Messiah and they believed in the resurrection. Why do you think this, why do you think the Sadducees were so against the resurrection? Because it was a common belief. They understood the resurrection. They believed the resurrection. Think about it. You go back to the oldest book of the Bible in Job. And listen, and somebody just mentioned this this morning to me and it, it stuck in my mind. And I, this is a wonderful passage in Job 19 when Job said, I know for I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand on the earth at the latter days. I'm sorry, he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And listen to what he goes on to say. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, listen to this, yet in my flesh shall I see God. (laughs) Job believed in a resurrection. He goes on to say, whom I shall see for myself. Job says, I'm going to see him for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my, though my reins be consumed within me. Job says, I may go to my grave someday, but I know this, I'm coming out, and in my flesh I will see my Redeemer someday. I'm going to see Jesus. Yeah. Job was waiting for the coming Messiah. We can, we can go back and look at the life of Abraham. When Abraham, when God told Abraham to sacrifice your son, thine only son Isaac. And immediately Abraham went and he gathered up his son and gathered up the servants and they went up to the mountains of Moriah and they began ascending those mountains. And, and as Abraham and Isaac are going up, Isaac, who was plenty old enough to say no and to walk away, we have to understand the willingness of Isaac in this as well. But as they were going up that mountain, Isaac said, Father, we have the, the 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 fire, and we have the wood. Where's the lamb? And oh my goodness! And over in Genesis twenty-two and verse eight, Abraham said, "My son, God will provide Himself the lamb for a burnt offering." So they went both of them together. What a beautiful text that is. See, Jesus didn't get that opportunity with his father. They didn't go both together. At Calvary, the father turned his back because he's a pure eyes and to behold evil. Abraham and Isaac got to go up all the way together. And Jesus went up alone. But do you see this here? Abraham said, God will provide himself, not for himself. God will provide himself a lamb. He was going to be the lamb. Abraham understood a resurrection. Abraham understood the Messiah. Job understood a resurrection. Job understood the Messiah. You say, okay, okay, okay. I'm, I, I, I'm convinced. <laughs> I'm convinced. One day my body's going to come out of the ground and live again. But what is it going to look like? You ever wonder about that? What is my body going to look like? Well, now Paul begins uh, to, he will move to this question beginning now in verse 35. So look at verse 35, would you please? Verse 35. But some man will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Okay. How were they raised up? How is this going to happen? And so Paul is going to say here in verse 36, 
Well, first he says, fool. <laughs> we might say, you big dope. <laughs> you dummy. My goodness. How long have you been reading the Bible? Yeah. Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened, which that word quickened means made alive, except it die. Yeah. Now, he started with the term first fruits. Remember that? We looked at a seed. How are the dead raised up? Well, they've got to die first. We're not raising up live bodies. Well, we can get into that on the, on the, on the catching away of the saints or the rapture of the saints, but we're not talking, he's talking about those that have, been, that have died in Christ. You've got to die first, verse 36. In John 12, 24, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. So when a seed is placed in the ground, like I talked about earlier, and that outer shell cracks and that root system begins to grow and the plant comes up, the roots go down, and that, that, that seed that you once held in your hand is forever gone. It's dead. You say, well, well there's life in a seed. Yes, there's life in the seed. But because there's nothing left of that original seed, its original form is dead now. It is gone now. You will never hold a seed in your hand, that same seed in your hand again. You won't do that. It's now become a plant. And if that seed is never put in the ground, it'll never break apart and grow. It has to die. It has to die. I was just reading today. I don't, I think some of you, I know some have been into Israel and some have been up into the fortress of Masada. And I, I remember climbing up there and going up into Masada and how just wonderful that was to see that. And they, uh, some, I don't know when it was, how, how long ago this was. It was re- in recent time. They found three uh, date palm seeds in the fortress of Masada that they uh, dated about 2,000 years old. And they actually got one of them to grow. Two of them were duds, and one actually, they have a plant that, they, that came up and is growing. And they said most likely it's because the, the the hotter and the drier arid conditions, it's been kept out of the out of uh, the sun and stuff like that it probably was able to preserve that seed but see what see how long 2000 years old that thing sat there with life in it but dormant without any ability to produce fruit it had to die it had to go into the ground and had to die. The dead are raised up because the original outer body, our original body, this earth suit that we're in, this flesh that we live in, that body that 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 holds our soul and our spirit. I've said this before. We are a soul. We are a soul that has a body. We're not a body that has a soul. We are a living soul. And that when when that body that that has held our soul and our spirit is dead and gone, the life of Christ now is able to produce another body someday that will be like unto His glorious body. But we have to die. We have to die. But speaking about bodies, what kind of body are we going to have? Oh, there's, there's been some really crazy things out there about what we're going to look like and what we're going to do. I know some think we're all going to be 33 years old and look like Jesus. I've heard that one. And uh, I... They said, see, like unto his glorious body, but they don't understand similes. Like unto, like as unto, that's a simile. It's meaning, uh, and we're going to get into this. Don't, let, don't make me jump ahead. We're going to get into this here in just a little bit. But he says, what, what body will we have? Look at verse 37. Thou, uh, uh, verse 37, that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body, that shall be. But bare grain 
uh, it may chance of wheat or of some other grain. Look at the verse, the first of that verse again. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be. Listen, the body that we have, though we will have another human body, it's not going to be like the body that went into the ground. It's not, you don't plant a seed and to get five more seeds just like it, start spitting out of the dirt, you know, seeds. It's like, oh, the seed's working, you know, seeds just popping out of the ground. No, it comes out different, doesn't it? It's still, it's still the same life of that seed. You plant a seed and you get the plant that will bear the fruit of that seed, okay? In verse 38, look what, look what he says here in verse 38. But God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. And he goes on to explain how not all flesh is the same. And there's the flesh of men, and of beasts, and of fishes, and of birds, and, and celestial bodies, and terrestrial bodies. And the glory of the celestial is one body, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. And he goes on and talks about that, and the, and the stars, and how they differ one from another. He says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. Here's how it's different. It's sown in corruption, and it is raised in incorruption. See, Jesus, when he was risen, he had a human body. Did any of the disciples go, what is that? No, their eyes had to be open they, 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 to, to, see that, to know that this was Jesus Christ, the, the two on the road to Emmaus. We just spoke about that just recently. The, the Spirit of God opened their eyes. You know, they were blinded for a little while. But uh, he was still in a human body. He still had a side that he said Thomas touched. He still had hands that had, that had holes in. He still walked on the road to Emmaus. He still made food. He still he was a he had a human body, but it wasn't like the one that went into the ground. It was a glorified body. It was a body that would never die again. Do you realize those? If you reject the Lord Jesus Christ and you you leave this life without Jesus Christ, you will die and spend an eternity in hell. And the Bible says that you will be fitted with a body for destruction. You will have a physical. You will have a body in hell that will be able to endure the fires of hell for eternity and not be consumed. You throw the body you have right now in hell, it'll burn or in a fire, and, and it's a horrible sight. But it'll burn up if it's there long enough. It'll burn up until you die. It'll burn up till nothing's there. Do that in crematoriums and let all that's left is bones. But in hell, you'll be fitted with a body that will be able to endure the fires of hell for eternity. A different body. This is what Paul is saying here. God's going to give us a body. God's going to give us a body like unto the glorious body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to go in with this body, but we're going to come out with another body. It's going to be a human body, but it's going to be it's going to be a body that is that is perfect. Listen, Philippians 3.21, Who shall change our, our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, um, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. He's going to change this, I love that word, vile body. Oh, I know when we're younger, we're pretty proud of it. The older we get, the, realize, the more we realize this thing's vile. <laughs> yeah. It is a vile body. Look, look, that it may be like fashioned like unto his glorious body. You know, when they dropped our body into the ground one day, it was it, it will be a body that was temporary. 
It'll be a body that had limitations. It will be a body that was destroyed by sin and the effects of sin. But when God calls it out one day, it'll be a human body, yes, but it will be a body eternal. It'll be a body without limitations. It'll be a, a, a body untouched by sin. It will be a perfect body. Look, I just read 38 through 45. We're going to have a human body like the, like the body that Jesus has right now. Well, that's exciting. The resurrection body that we're going to have. Look again at verse 49. Look at this. All the way down to verse 49. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. 1 John 3, 2. John says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We're going to be like him. We're going to have a glorious body like the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul shows us how our bodies are going to be raised up. Paul shows us what kind of body that we're going to have. Paul shows us that it'll be a, uh, it'll be God who gives us our body. We're talking about the first fruits of the resurrection and we're talking about the features of the resurrection. But what does all this mean? What does this all mean? Look at verse 52. Verse 52, the Bible says in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Victory. No, these things have to happen. Our physical body must die. Our old body must be changed. And just as Jesus went into the grave with the old body, like Him, we will come out with a new body that has no ability to die. It'll be a perfect body. No sin, no pain, no limitations, no surgery, no cancer, no heart disease, no coronavirus. Nothing like that will ever affect us. I'm thinking of the day when our good friend Charles Elliott will open his eyes one day and he will see the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, he doesn't see now, but he'll see one day. I think of my friend who will one day talk and sing in heaven. No, it's, it's real. It's real. We have limitations now. We have limitations now. But I'm telling you, the resurrection means that we're going to have a body just like Jesus. And it's never, ever going to die. You know what? When I think of this, all I can say is with the apostle here, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Death is swallowed up in victory. Yeah. Look at 56 and 57. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The future of the resurrection is set, and the future of the resurrection is secure, and this is the hope of, 
of the resurrection. This is the hope of the resurrection. Jesus is the first fruits. You know what happens? The life that's in Jesus, if it's in you and I, we're going to come out just like he did. Remember that, remember that apple tree? First fruits of that apple tree are going to dictate what comes out of every year after that. Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection of them that slept. And he is the indication of what's going to happen to everybody who has the same life of Jesus Christ. We're going to come out just like he did. This is the hope of the resurrection. So let me ask you tonight. What are you afraid of? <laughs> no, what are you afraid of? You say, I'm not afraid of anything. No fear. No fear. Yeah. I haven't seen those stickers much lately on. I guess that's out of style now. No fear. No, Christian, what are you afraid of? Have you really thought this through? What are you afraid of? 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Romans 8.15, Paul would go on to say, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So what are you afraid of? I think this is why Paul said, I, I know this is why Paul said Philippians 1 21, for, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Why? Because I'm going to have a new body. You talk about a guy who, whose body was racked with pain. He'd been stoned how many times? Been beat how many times? His problem with, with, with his infirmities in the flesh that he talked about, the struggles in the flesh, and maybe possibly his eye problems, all of these things are going. If anybody wanted a new body, I think it was Paul who wanted a new body. And he said, for me to live, this only it's only Christ. The only reason I am on this planet is because Jesus wants me here. And he'll go on essentially to say that in verses 23 and 24. He says, for I'm in a straight betwixt two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ. He said, like, I just want to be with Jesus right now, which is far better, he says. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Paul says, the only reason I'm here is because God wants me here and you need me here. No fear. No fear. Why? Because in order to get what God has promised us, you got to die. And you know what we found out over the last uh, 6,000 years? They've all died. <laughs> no, every, everybody's dead. forgot Enoch, preacher. Yeah, but he's not here. <laughs> he went out a different way, but he's not here, okay? Enoch, he walked with God and was not, okay? He's not here. Why is Paul so concerned that the saints at Corinth live in victory that they have in Christ over the grave? Remember what the context of chapter 15 really is. It's the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The death, burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What did Jesus say? It seems like we've heard this constantly lately uh, from the messages. But Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. There's a command of the church. There's a command to, to, to churches. And if you're a, a, a born-again member of a, of a, of a Bible-believing Baptist church, that command applies to you. 
Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. So what was Paul so concerned about here? Look at verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, therefore, because of all everything I just went through here in chapter 15, therefore, my beloved brethren, be a steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You know what Paul was concerned about here? You know, you know what the knowledge of the resurrection helps us with here? The fearless obedience to the gospel. A fearless obedience to the gospel. Now watch this, please. When we understand the hope of the resurrection, what is there to fear when we engage the world with the gospel? No matter what happens in, the, in this life, we're going to be raised again. And we're going to have a new body. No, think this through. Is, is, as aware you, as aware of yourself as you are right now, where, wherever you are sitting tonight, in the, in the normalcy of living in this human body, it'll be no different in your next body. It's not going to be any some weird, ethereal, like this weird spacey out thing that you're... We're going to have a body. Yeah. And no matter what happens in this life, we're going to be raised again. Yeah. Maybe, maybe this is why even the apostle, the, 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 the apostle Paul, and every apostle actually, went to their martyr's death. Besides John, but he was still went under persecution on the Isle of Patmos. You read some of the, some of the historical um, accounts of, of some of how, the ways some of these apostles died. You pull out the Fox's Book of Martyrs and listen, watch how some of the believers over time have, have died. The torture that they lived through. The torture that they, they watched. I mean, I just kind of, you know, in a joking, a little bit of a joking way, said to somebody not too long ago that was a little bit concerned with this uh, coronavirus, and I said, you're not going to be burned at the stake. I mean, think about this. You're not going to be put on a rack and ripped in half. You're not going to have your skin peeled off you while you're alive. No, I'm not. I mean, this is real stuff that believers throughout the century went through and lived through for the sake of the gospel. Why? Because they had a, a hope of the resurrection. So what are you afraid of? You see, the hope of the resurrection strengthens us to preach the gospel for as long as God leaves us on this planet. I've recently said before that we're immortal until God's done with us. So let me ask you a question tonight. We've looked at the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the hope of the resurrection. We are going to be raised, we are going to have a new body. We're going to come out alive again. I want to ask you tonight, though, where's your hope? Where's your hope? I, w I would hope it and pray that it isn't in this world. But have you been living in fear? Have you been living in fear? Has fear kept you from the work of the gospel? 
Know what I, know what I want to encourage you with? Since Jesus has risen, so will you. So maybe you ought to just get busy with the work of the gospel. What was the purpose of this resurrection chapter that Paul sent to the Corinthians? Maybe you could say it this way. Preach the word. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Seek the lost. Win them at any cost. I mean, on and on and on. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The hope of the resurrection. Where's your hope tonight? Are you living in fear? No, you don't have to. Just remember what's in your future. Heavenly Father...